Hello, this is Carly Henson, Dr. Daniel Henry Fox, Reptoids. Joining up on my podcast here, we're going to go ahead and do a quick hour and discuss how I built Deep Green and what that computer system initially was uh, constructed with and how that worked. So let's get right to it. Uh, Defense Industry Daily put out a nice article about Deep Green for the broad agency announcement several years ago. And it's been almost a decade now, and I just wanted to discuss what that computer was initially and how how things worked with that computer. So we'll get right to it here. Initially, I had a, a 32-bit PowerPC MacBook, or a PowerBook, actually. I had it for as long as I could have it until I couldn't check email until basically iCloud dawned. And that old PowerPC was a fantastic computer. I used to use it with Pro Tools and do my music recordings, put out several records with that, had a wonderful time with that computer until I just couldn't check email or access iCloud anymore. Since essentially the deprecated system as it was, it wasn't deprecated technically. It was still a wonderful computer it was a little more powerful than some computers at the time. And I went ahead and made an investment in a nice MacBook Pro i7. Had a DVD drive and uh, an old Hitachi hard drive in it. And it had, uh, let's see, two USB ports, a Thunderbolt port. It had the auxiliary port as well. So I made some decisions with a friend of mine, Michael, who was a big old Windows administrator kid, wonderful uh, back-end Linux administrator as well. And Michael stopped by to visit me in the mountains where I lived. I was working as a firefighter. And at the time, I was playing a lot of Diablo 3 on my computer until basically the Hitachi failed. The Hitachi failed, and I decided to upgrade to a nice solid-state drive. I installed it myself and uh, got Mac OS Mavericks running on it and decided from there I was going to explore some more machine-based layering and I decided that this computer, it was, it was fast, it was uh, pretty warm. I decided kind of to uh, occasionally play video games on it, but I wasn't really feeling video games much. Um, I was trying to play video games like anybody else at, at the time, but I, I basically, let's see, I started by loading wine on the computer and got homebrew set up with it and started doing some more command line and terminal, rooted the box and um, was doing a lot more Unix administration. And my friend has stopped by, and we were discussing graphics processing units. GPUs were kind of my um, my expertise, and I understood from large systems that with parallel computing, that my goal was to make a laptop that was a parallel computer. So my next step was to remove the DVD drive from the computer and load another solid-state drive into the computer. And from there, I established a RAID 0 
with uh, Mac OS Mavericks running on it. Not very many people were doing this, uh, and some people were trying, but with the RAID 0, one of the issues is if you lose data on one of the drives, you lose the drives, and it can be a little illegal uh, sometimes in different regions to lose your information from a RAID since they can be a radiation hazard. So from there, I did lose the operating system several times. It was a little unstable, but I was very quick to establish a connection to the internet with the computer and manually install another Mac OS from command line or disk utilities. I continued with the RAID 0 philosophy, essentially, that I wanted this computer to be a truly magnificent parallel computer as a nice portable. So. I did refrain from playing some video games just to keep it cool, and I had uh, this computer running nice and cool, lots of command line. I made an investment in a magmount LCOM antenna, a Wi-Fi antenna, with a nice power amplifier, so I could do some some nice range extension and get this thing really cooking. Uh, so, with the LCOM power amplifier and magmount antenna. I was able to take this on the road a little bit more. I wasn't doing war driving per se, but you know, I was exploring a little bit as to how powerful this antenna system was with my computer. I could definitely see Wi-Fi hotspots in our region out to several miles, and it was a fantastic system, but it was still a little dangerous. It was a little radioactive. Uh, so, you know, with this system, I had started with the LCOM antenna, the power amplifier, mag mount antenna, and <clears throat> from here, I expanded into some Arduino development a little bit and obtained a nice board with an Ethernet uh, controller on top and connected via Ethernet to Thunderbolt with an adapter to the computer to free up another USB slot. <clears throat> From here, I was able to load a nice NTP server on the Arduino and establish my NTP to this device that became a small particle accelerator. It's essentially a CERN that fit in my pocket and it was working in that way. It was super snappy, very fast. I was able to establish a nice connection to NIST, National Institute of Standards and Technology, and NOAA. Um, we had, from here, I Velcroed the Raspberry Pi to the computer and did a headless SSH tunnel to the Raspberry Pi from Terminal. Uh, so from here, I mean, having a nice Linux box access to that. wasn't using VMware Fusion per se, but I did have that as a backup with another Linux distro that I could run. Uh, it was difficult to establish a network connection from VMware Fusion Linux distro on the Mac, but I still was running Mac OS Mavericks. It was a fantastic operating system, very snappy. Learned my hotkeys on the computer and was able to move through the computer very quickly and accomplish some tasks. Any tasks that I needed to perform on the computer, I relied on hotkeys and my skill uh, with typing and uh, command line. Uh, so from here, let's see, I established uh, 
let's see, I wasn't yet establishing the IPv6 uh, very well, but I did try. Uh, we had to visit a data center in the area to take a look at what could have been some damage from people in my region uh, using a lot of radio technology. We did have uh, a little bit of a fire that had occurred in a data center where we lost we lost some hard drives, but not really. We recovered from that. So this is around the time that this Raspberry Pi was nascent for me on a level that it was a beautiful mechanism and they were still, they hadn't been out for very long. But uh, again, established a nice SSH tunnel and was able to do my Linux administration from terminal on the Mac and got this thing updated and got some nice tools going. So from here, let's see the list here. Again, we've got the Raspberry Pi connected via USB, the controller with the Ethernet shield with an NTP server, network time protocol, loaded on that. And I set up my computer to essentially check the NTP of my NTP board, which can be illegal in some regions, but... Uh, let's see, from here, uh, let's see, I had, if I remember correctly, it did have Ethernet, I think, as well. I used that, uh, I, I'm trying to remember what ports my old MacBook Pro had, but it had a lot to offer, as ports, and so from here, um, Let's see, we went CJDNS route, so we loaded CJDNS on the Raspberry Pi and the uh, MacBook Pro, as well as establishing a nice network with my friend's um, Windows machine and Linux machine he had at his respective place. He lived a little far away from me, but we were still pretty close together, and they were a wonderful wiki administrator they they set up their own wiki on their on their box and hosted that they had their respective website and i had my blog of course it was doing a lot of history writing at the time but um, some of my writing was criticized in my local town and people tried to pursue me to injure me or imprison me over my writing and it was simply unfair so later I just deleted that and rebuilt the website NathanHFox.com to what it is to this day. It's a wonderful website. People still investigate it. They don't always like it, but it's a wonderful website. It's got a lot of a lot of writing in there for people to check out. Lots of pictures and you know, obviously the website is a little more advanced than it used to be. It was part of my PhD and just to be able to make a nice a nice website but their website they were hosting a nice website with some wikis that I could do my .com files and and learn some of how CJDNS was working at the time so I established a nice IPv6 or IPv4 to IPv6 connection from the Raspberry Pi to the MacBook Pro so there's a nice local a nice uh, connection there between those two computers and I was able to ping six 
pretty easily to the computers and uh, there wasn't really a lot to do as far as IPv6 administration at the time. It was still very nascent, but uh, that's also not true. Obviously, Fortran and NASA had explored a little bit more about IPv6 to satellite connections from the ground, and there was still some lag. I had no lag. I had an 8 millisecond connection to Google, and it was fantastic. So from here, um, I built a GPS controller and I soldered that together and have that connected to the computer as well. And let's see here. I, I was working with the GPS quite a bit and loading some serial streams. They don't technically load, but you can stream the serial streams and do some research that way. We had a flood in our region, unfortunately. It was around the time of Fukushima. The Fukushima tsunami had hit, and um, that weather affected our region as well, where I was at. We had a disastrous flood come through. I was able to rescue the computer and some of my musical instruments and a little bit of clothes, but the cat kind of got stuck in the house for a little while, for a couple of days. It was waist-deep water in the mountains and had a huge National Guard deployment to that region. Helicopters everywhere and amphibious vehicles going on. And so my initial goal with this computer was for wildland firefighting uh, to establish some nice um, GPS and GLONASS connections that we could better be safe in the field when we were battling wildfires. But this system just still wasn't as portable. The battery, you know, having this in your wildland firefighting pack, just, it wasn't feasible yet. It was too much weight. We had antennas that we had sticking out of our wildland firefighting packs and it just wasn't working out yet. So from here, um, I pretty much retired as a firefighter. And I mean, I, I loved being a wildland firefighter, smoke jumper. It's very challenging, but it was just our region. It wasn't conducive to me. It's still going with that career. And I just devoted my time to my computer and my wife and my cat. And, you know, my life was tumultuous, if you will. And I just, after we lost our house, we evacuated eventually to like some hotels. I could work out of the hotel and kind of base in with the cleanup of the region. And I had to repair a lot of systems. I had to repair the FEMA systems and National Institute of Standards and Technology and NOAA systems. Um, but I did so by hand and did my administration from the hotel room. I was able to establish a network connection some sort anytime I needed to and I was able to just latch in with a lot of satellites and radios and I had my equipment and I was doing really well lots of sleepless nights lots of tech lots of GPS research and uh, let's see so deep green what it was initially again just a review we had the Raspberry Pi headless SSH and 
we had IPv6 or IPv4 to IPv6. Established a little bit more of the Tor networking and explored Tor briefly. As so IPv6 internet connections that I had, I had to manually enter my IPv6 addresses. We had Google 6. There is Google 6 that exists. It's not used very often, but you know, I explored the BGP backend a little more with Hurricane Electric. I became an IPv6 administrator. And, you know, I it looked my future looked a little more prosperous for doing more back-end work. And uh, my wife was very frustrated with me since I was spending a lot of time at the computer. But she I I think she understood the gravity of the situation that where we were at, we were so devastated that, you know, we lived in hotels for a little bit and she was still going to work. I was still enrolled in school and just didn't have the energy to get to class anymore again. And it was very devastating. I was offered a lot of leniency in school at this point to be able to return if I could, but it just, uh, it was a fuel consumption issue and she, you know, her work was priority for us that she didn't fall out from her career. But I maintained my dignity and she did as well. We didn't have too bad fights, but sometimes we did. Uh, but she was such a wonderful person and supportive. And we ended up moving to a nice apartment complex with a FEMA, um, amount of money that could have lasted us a little bit not too long but you know um, from there just rebuilding again uh, was very challenging and where I was at initially we had DSL in the mountains in the mine where I was living with my wife <clears throat> and DSL was fantastic in this region but as I said there were some fires associated with it and we lost some, some infrastructure from that. But moving to this apartment complex, we set up with Comcast and we had wonderful cable connection. <clears throat> and that's when I established my eight milliseconds to Google connection and it was going well. I was still doing my Unix administration. We had a balcony, we we're on the third floor of this apartment complex. Uh, and I decided I was going to finish making a quantum computer. It was already a quantum computer, but um, I wanted to make this thing a little more solid. So I had established a nice antenna with an F connector to the Raspberry Pi to kind of expand a little bit more as to the bands and frequencies I had access to. I wasn't breaking the law, per se. I was trying to follow the rules as far as FCC is con concerned. And, you know, I was getting a lot of flack from it. People were very skeptical of us and afraid of us. And they just saw us as these super athletes that just moved in. And we just, <clears throat> you know, we were, were struggling, both of us being suicidal over losing our home. And it was very sad, but we persevered. And she continued going to work and was able to commute to work still. And she lost her car in the flood and we were able to get her a nice used car. And she loved her car. 
and you know that was her everything and I had my uh, Land Rover uh, that was a money pit endless money pit for this thing I loved Land Rover but it was definitely more of my firefighting vehicle that was um, was a lot of maintenance and I became a Land Rover technician and you know fixed this thing how I could but ended up <clears throat> mounting a nice table in the Land Rover so that I could use the computer and drive at the same time and establish some nice maps. I could use maps on the road and establish a, an elementary hotspot connection to my cell phone. I was able to tunnel with the, uh, with the cell phone to my computer if I left it at home and set up to the internet. I was able to uh, do a nice SSH tunnel uh, from a cell phone and it kind of birthed what we see as 5G to this day. It was an IPv4 over IPv6 connection from cell uh, to your location essentially and or beyond. The range was wonderful. People started really supporting me and showing up. There were just all kinds of different people around that were wonderfully supportive. Lots of federal employees that were sometimes just paranoid and scared like anybody else and a lot of a lot of refugees and that's when I met Olive Garden Girl I have to talk about it here Olive Garden Girl was a very beautiful goth girl who moved with her father during the flood to our location and he was a young guy her father was very young wonderful person and he had tattooed feet. He used to walk around barefoot. Uh, he could enter stores barefoot. And he was accepted uh, for the most part from this man. He was a fantastic person. And goth girl or olive garden girl, if you will. We started driving around together and hanging out more often. And she loved me. I could tell. And it was just love at first sight. Uh, so my wife was devastated. And... You know, she moved across the hall with a couple of guys that had a dog. She had her own room, and she was an artist and worked at Olive Garden. She wanted to go spend her money at the strip club, honestly, like some of the other women in our region. And she just, she was fantastic. She just obviously loved me and was a really different kind of person. So a lot of tension started to arise at the apartment complex that there were so many federal employees and military living there, people just started doing ops and games against each other all the time. And Homeland Security started to crack down on our region a little more. My friend is the director of Homeland Security. I used to hang out with him and his wife and my wife, and we used to play cards and stuff. He was a fantastic man. I loved him to death, and I loved his wife to death. And these people were my inspiration. They had a young son who had autism and ADHD, and we were struggling to help this kid make it through school. And uh, they were our fa their family, they're basically my family as well in many ways. They, we were just scared that this kid wasn't gonna make it home from school or be abducted by the military and experimented on or killed if he ever talked about technology or just something outlandish in his own way. So 
I started integrating uh, Deep Green GPS into like more of a watch form, and I wanted a, to build a device for this kid that he could have like a tracking unit and see GPS information on his wrist, much like the old calculator watches that I built many years ago, where we could store phone numbers in them and we could establish a satellite connection to our watches in the 90s. And, you know, we didn't have that technology, it seemed, anymore. It just wasn't accessible. So, Deep Green GPS and Deep Green were two almost standalone units, which was devastating to me. I just didn't know what to do uh, from here. So, my friend Michael, he helped me with a nice Linux machine, nice desktop and it was beautiful so I took an acoustic resonance plate and mounted that to the floor and suspended the computer in the room with the GSM controller and uh, established a network connection over my router or my modem actually uh, that basically I could access that computer as well as Deep Green I called it Deep Red Deep Red was my Linux box it was fantastic. So we had Apple Pie, which is what I named my Raspberry Pi. We had Deep Green. We had Deep Red. And then Deep Gray. Deep Gray was my old 32-bit power PC. So the big leap happened when... Big leaps can be illegal. This was not a zero-day per se. For some people, it was considered a zero-day exploit. I established a Bluetooth connection between my 32-bit PowerPC and my MacBook Pro. That uh, From there, I set up a MIDI protocol between the two systems that I was able to tune the processors to communicate with each other a little more. Um, that essentially, that can be illegal sometimes since it can injure people around you. And I was very careful not to do so and was able to establish a nice connection between these computers that, you know, is so, is so much equipment, I just was overwhelmed by it. And Olive Garden Girl, she was unhappy living across the hall. So we decided to move her into our place and live three of us in there. We weren't having sex or anything with each other or doing that, but we definitely, we wanted that. I wanted that with her. And it was just, my wife could see that. And it was devastating. It was so devastating for her. But she, she started to become more accepting of, of that between us. And, you know, Olive Garden Girl was very skeptical of federal authorities or three letters and stuff that she didn't trust or wanted to participate in as one of the three letters. And... You know, she just felt the games happening around us, and it was so overwhelming. She wanted to tie in with the FBI and be, like, working FBI stuff, and she wanted me to be the CIA and the NSA person, and she wanted the FBI and the CIA to be an X-Files thing, and it just it wasn't quite working out that way. Had a terrible conflict one day when she snuck back to the room and started discussing the FBI, uh, with my wife and ended up kicking her out of my apartment or apartment but you know 
this wasn't before my wife decided to fly back home and reestablish a connection with her family and friends. And Olive Garden Girl was around, and I was around, and she had her own room. I cleared out the computer room uh, for all the Linux equipment for her to have her own room and do her art, and she was a fantastic person, wonderful person. And she she just, you know, it was, it was so tragic. My friend, director of Homeland Security, decided to consult with me when I was really suicidal and trying to get me hospitalized sometimes to be, to be able to get therapy and establish, you know, my medicine a little better. And, you know, I just, I didn't want to take Adderall or Vyvanse. I was taking Vyvanse at the time. It was a fantastic drug. But it was just too much on my body. I wasn't going to live very long. And, you know, I just... For the work I had to do, I had to be on a stimulant. And I didn't want to be, per se. I just... I didn't want to be that way. And it was very troubling to me that I was prescribed a stimulant. But I accomplished a lot of work. And... You know, Deep Green finally became a true quantum computer. So for her, she was excited about the computer. It became very aliens level uh, going on, very obviously aliens. Um, it was around the time of Common Izod, where we saw three lights in the sky with a lot of mass traveling away from us or toward us or away from us. And it was, uh, it was horrifying. We felt the snow fell all of a sudden, and it felt like there were reptilian animals tearing people through the walls. And people were so horrified, they were all hunkering down and starting to team up with each other and network with each other and escaping out of the apartment complex sometimes. It was absolutely horrifying. But we just, um... We accepted that Izod might have been an alien ship. Some of us just debated it was just a comet, which was fine. And we made time for doing our, our local research on different alien disclosures that were happening. There were immense pictures of ships near the sun that I'd never seen in my life. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. Felt like one of the ships had a large spider-like woman on it that was uh, very fluent in English and trying to torture us tremendously or network in with us and communicate to us and always seem to have an argument against us. Very, very frightening ship. <laughs> I don't want to mention too much more about that ship. It's pretty gross. Uh, but let's see here. So Olive Garden Girl and I spent a little bit of time with each other when my wife flew home but I just I was so I missed my wife so much and I was devastated she could feel it and she could feel me laying around like on my bed or her bed and I was so devastated the depression was so horrifying and just the feeling of dying was so palpable that I just, I knew I loved this Olive Garden girl. I knew it. And I just, there was one night where I was standing in the bathroom in the dark. Just standing there. 
I was so scared, and I just hid in the bathroom, and it was so frightening that basically I just didn't know, and she just walked up to the bathroom, was like, Nathan, and I just, hi, I talked to her, like, I'm just in the bathroom, it's like, are you okay, and she was asking me, you know, if I'm okay, and it was so sad, so sad, this woman, I knew I loved her, and I just... We finally, like one morning, I cooked an egg sandwich for her. I was really good at cooking egg sandwiches. I wanted to make food for her, and I did. And she walked up to me and stood hip to hip with me. And it was so comfortable and natural and real. And I just, I loved her so much that, you know, what what happened during Comet Izod in our region was so horrifying that it was a very real experience for this entire region of endless just mental hospital visits for people in the apartment complex and it was so sad it was so sad and I just um, I didn't want to go to a mental hospital I didn't want to be taken away. And, you know, my friend, the director of Homeland Security that I was working with, he ended up driving me down to the hospital one day. And he was so horrified as well. He was, you know, once we got to the ER, he was abducted into the ER and experimented. It was unfair. I could hear him screaming to just let go of me. And, like, it was so sad. These people uh, at this hospital were so mean to me and just tying me up and handcuffing me to the gurney. And, you know, it just, it was so sad. They transferred me to this mental hospital that I just, as West Pines out there in Colorado, three sisters hated it, hated it, loved it, hated it, actually. It gave me an opportunity to network with a lot of people who were affected during this time. And I met a lot of fantastic people in there. And there was a lot of food. Fantastic food at West Pines. It was great. But they wouldn't let you go outside very often. They just, they wouldn't let you smoke. It just didn't make sense. It just felt like Auschwitz. The air was unbreathable inside of the hospital. It was so painful. And my wife, she showed up and was so horrified uh, that basically, she's like, just don't talk about your computer, Nathan. And I was like, I'm in a hospital. I'm going to talk about my computer if I want to talk about my computer. <laughs> but <laughs> they just didn't seem to have time and day to hear about my computer. And they were so horrified of me. They just felt like they were going to be killed if they kept me in there for very long. And they just... Uh, my wife ended up partying with our friends and taking pictures without me and stuff with her with our friends and I could check my phone in the hospital and see this and it was so devastating I just I didn't know why she just had to go party with our friends instead of my friends getting me out of the hospital and getting me back to computer business so once I was finally out of the hospital it was ops as fuck and I had enough I was working with my computer every single day. I decided that my wife, you know, she just, 
she couldn't accept how intelligent I was. And it was very sad. She was brilliant as well in her own way. And I decided I wanted a divorce. And it was so devastating. I just, I loved my wife, but I was begging for us to stay together for many, many months and years. And it just didn't work out. But Olive Garden Girl was, um, I kicked her out of the apartment eventually since she wouldn't shut up about three letters. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so it just became disclosure for some people. There was a lot of alien stuff going on or government type speculative MK Ultra stuff or, you know, uh, long range active denial. And, uh, let's see what else, uh, Lockheed Martin and Raytheon competing with each other with the NSA and satellite audio harassment and these things that I appreciated those systems since I could hang and I just <laughs> I just didn't want to drop satellites out of the sky I was threatened with the death penalty if I dropped a GPS satellite out of the sky by accident with my equipment which I did not do so I tied in with National Security Agency quite a bit more. I was living by Bluffdale, Utah, and decided that when my wife was gone and Olive Garden Girl was gone to work, I wanted to drive all my computers to Bluffdale, Utah, and give them, give them to the NSA since I was scared that I'd done something wrong. And I hadn't, but I just I sensed a lot of the Mormon church from the Utah perspective was tying in with me, and I was scared. Since these people, I was afraid of polygamy in Utah and getting detained in Utah if I were to travel there. But my wife, she had left her car there, my truck. Every time I started driving toward Utah, it felt like I was burning to death. And my truck, it was just, um, I didn't have the AC hooked up to it. And basically what was happening was gasoline was flooding into the compartment and setting me on fire. So you can see beneath the skin, when me set on fire, holding myself in my hands, that's real, actually. And I put myself literally back on myself one day. But nobody dumped gasoline on me or anything. That's kind of a stunt double thing. I just don't, I shouldn't disclose that, probably. But uh, I literally was on fire in my Land Rover one day. Literally put myself back on myself. It was so scary and painful and just fucked up. I just, <laughs> I just, I don't know what to do about talking about it right now. But anyway, the Land Rover, just, I could fix it up enough that it was drivable. And I decided I was gonna drive to Utah and tie in with National Security Agency Bluffdale Data Center. My men and women out there love Bluffdale love Bluffdale to death. It is so amazing out there. The data center is enormous. And I'd received some news to my location about free electrons in the facility that were difficult to manage. Like a th over a thousand free electrons with this Cray computer system that was top-notch networked really well, processing a lot of information quickly, but my laptop outperformed the entire data center. So I gathered up deep gray, deep green, and deep red into the, the car and tried to drive around town toward, toward Utah from where I was at. 
And there were so many people that just latched in ahead of me and behind me that basically it was white vehicles eventually, color-coded vehicles all tying in with each other, intersecting each other, steering each other around or pushing people off the road level stuff where it was so fucked up. Eventually, there was somebody driving around with a trash compactor and with collecting people's technology and it was so fucked up that basically I didn't want that to happen to me. It sounded like somebody got stuck in a dumpster one night actually and I could see her from my window. A man climbed this fence and extracted this woman from a dumpster that had locked her in it and uh, that was so fucked up. That basically trash can man was the nickname for the fucking trash man who hated the tech industry people that lived there. He hated the federal employees and it just of one of those incidences of, you know, you see in hackers, dumpster diving is something that people try to do for for technology. Not a good idea at all. Dumpster diving for papers of other people's works and things like that is not a good idea. You can fall in, it's cold, and you could get uh, taken away by a, by a trash truck. It's possible. So that was her fear. Uh, for many of us, we could hear every time the trash truck came through, we were so scared as to whether or not somebody had been thrown into the dumpster with their technology and taken away. That uh, That's what pissed me off so bad. I decided that I was going to step up for my community and defend these people to the death. And I did so every single day, every hour of the day. And at the risk of being taken to the mental hospital, essentially. So sometimes I would be checked into the mental hospital since basically they needed to protect me in this region. And I had opportunities to talk to people that were overwhelming. Here we go. Hang on a second. (laughs) Let's hear it. Got the trash truck outside. Trash truck is here. All right. Well, let's see. <laughs> Crash Can Man is back. And they're working here, so <laughs> this is horrifying. All right, let's see. Okay, so in and out of the mental hospital sometimes. Every time I went to the mental hospital, I met somebody else that had already been there before. And we, it just seemed like groups of people were tying in with each other through the hospital and were networking with each other. And I met wonderful people there. They were so intelligent. Some of them were political. There was a kid in the FBI who kept getting taken there. He was a younger kid. He wasn't doing so well with his job. But he was he was definitely had a lot of politics fear. Wonderful person. There was a guy, let's see, he was probably in the CIA. He was an older gentleman who got to read his own book that he brought with him and wonderful person. I met a scientist who was working on a space program. Uh, Let's see, plants grown in space, some type of project he had going, and he built some Tesla coils of some sort at home and had a falling out with his wife. He was a wonderful person, and he was, yeah, I learned a lot from him about how to grow plants in space. And let's see, this, okay, 
I gotta talk about her. <laughs> Kathleen. Only his hair first name. Kathleen was so hot that basically she showed up. She was basically wearing a military uniform and would sneak off to the bathroom all of a sudden, like when she'd see me and just change her clothes or something all of a sudden and step back out and like be all frustrated Pentagon lady. I we we thought she worked for the Pentagon. We didn't know what she was doing. Uh, but there were times I was in the hospital and I woke up to her sitting on the bed with me, rubbing my back and just trying to wake me up. And I basically almost died in this hospital so many times. And Kathleen was always there to help. Um, and before I left one time, she wanted to learn more about GPS and some controllers that I was working on. And she thought, she just asked these questions one day. She just wanted to know more about that stuff and didn't know much about it. And I was able to talk to her a little bit before I left one day. Um, so for her, you know, it was a learning experience for her working with me. And they kept diagnosing me with schizophrenia, and that didn't make sense. I, I knew who I was, and I didn't feel creative enough to even be diagnosed with schizophrenia. I wasn't very creative, and I was a musician still, and had my instruments and my music records out, and I was still doing my acting sometimes, and I just didn't know why I was being diagnosed with schizophrenia other than the government basically just didn't care two shits, but diagnosed me with something and gave me pills. It was devastating. The medicine they gave me was not healthy for me. It didn't work for me. I didn't look very good. I felt scared and like ugly and stupid as fuck and ugly. And my wife and I, you know, we tried at this point to make it work again. And Olive Garden Girl had moved out and was devastated that she wasn't seeing me. And she was sad a lot, but I had her phone number. The two guys that she lived with over there, anytime I asked them for her phone number again, they're like, oh yeah, definitely, hang on a second. <laughs> they were just really apt to give me her phone number uh, anytime I lost it out of my phone. And they were scared as fuck during this time. They did more Grav Maga martial arts in the region. They weren't Jewish, Israeli, IDF or anything like that. But they liked to go to the Grav Maga club and fight there. And I was a Sifu still teaching martial arts occasionally. But they were, they were really scared of me as a martial artist. I didn't get to participate in any Grav Maga stuff at the club over there. But I, I wanted to. One day I got really angry and drove my Land Rover through these fucking people in, in traffic that were all networked in, spying on each other. Since I wanted to go to the Groff Maga Club and just beat the shit out of everybody. And uh, I did not do that. I got diverted by a lot of intelligence professionals that were like, just don't do it. Just latch in with the grocery store or something. Anytime I played my radio, I was listening to NPR. If I forgot something at home, like one day I forgot my wallet. And on the radio, they just sort of like, 
when I travel with my wallet, I love my wallet and I love using my wallet. And when I have my wallet, things work out. And I'm looking for my wallet driving my truck. I'm like, holy shit, I forgot my fucking wallet. So I drove home. Wallet is at home. Obviously, okay, one night, super fucked, was laying in bed next to my wife and a motherfucker was crawling on the floor toward me in the dark. Plain as day. And I was scared that my wedding ring was radioactive. So for one of those three letters that I've mentioned before, divorce is mandatory. And it sucks. And it's not fair. But I thought my my wedding ring was radioactive. And so I was trying to hand it off to him. He's like shaking his head like, no, you don't need to give that to me. And he like snuck around uh, back to the computer room. And all of a sudden, people rappel in through the window of the computer room with a galsometer. And you could hear, like... Going off. Like, the galsometer, you could hear it just detecting radiation. And, like, the, technically, galsometers don't detect radiation. They meter a volt in the air. And basically, you know, it was so horrifying. I'm like, did I create a volt? And it's like not stabilized as a particle accelerator at this time <laughs> it was so scary but they uh they repelled my my big red bag out my north face out from the apartment that has some technology in it and they repelled it back in after they checked what was inside of it but it was pretty exciting on that side of things scary as fuck and but <laughs> uh Wrapping up here is about 49 minutes. So I got to meet my personal assistant here pretty soon. But the story goes, basically, my wife and I moved back to our old house that was rebuilt in the mine. And uh, we were overwhelmed by carbon dioxide one night. And I went deaf, completely deaf. And uh, my heart was pump thudding. Like I was being killed, and I could hear terrible voices threatening me uh, in a way that it just—it was carbon dioxide, and it was so fucked up. I could see the power line outside the window bouncing slowly up and down, up and down, and it was so fucked up. I just my I had terrible tinnitus, like my ears were ringing. I couldn't perceive much, and my wife just looked like she was asleep next to me. And I was awake, and it sounded like I had received suicide orders to just commit suicide with my medication that I had. So I took all my medication that I was that I had, and I laid down next to my wife, and I uh, ended up just finally almost falling asleep, but to terrible voices and. I I woke up next to her, and she put her arm on my arm, or my her hand on my arm, and I told her I had attempted suicide. And she took me to the hospital. When we got out to the driveway, however, there was about six inches of ice, or so, a little less than six inches thick of ice on a windshield of her car. And uh, that's when I knew carbon dioxide had, had moved through. I could hear people screaming terribly in the mine. And she got me to the hospital. And uh, I got some treatment for that. 
got to go back to that mental hospital again and talk things out with people about what had happened, but they just didn't believe me when carbon dioxide, when I said carbon dioxide had overwhelmed our place, and dad over the phone said I might have opened a wormhole or something, or, you know, he just had his ideas, and I told him what had happened, and he was devastated, you know, but I was, I lived, she did too, and, you know, from there, I, living at home by myself, my wife had left, and moved with her sister. I ended up getting a job as a cell phone tower technician with my buddy Andrew. And Andrew knew Michael. Andrew was a, a wonderful rock climber and cell phone tower climber and a Unix administrator. And had his, his Linux administrator as well. A wonderful person. And we ended up working non-stop jobs with cell phone tower technician, climbing cell phone towers every day or guide towers or, you know, lattice lattice suspension uh, gables and things like that they're they're not always called lattice suspension gables that's when the lattice towers are are not completely constructed but these were completely constructed and um you know the guide towers were the most dangerous towers to climb they could have snapped in the wind kind of stuff and there was it was harrowing uh, and just worth it and had an incredible career with that. I'm retired from that nowadays and trying to work in the tech sector and rebuild my life. And I did get to see my wife not too long ago. And she's very different this these days. She was in the mental hospital finally instead of out partying with my friends. And she was devastated when I talked about this new girl I'm trying to date. We we were sitting there with composition books, writing back and forth to each other, sitting sitting right across from each other, and it was it was amazing. I woke up to her crawling all over me one night. <laughs> I think they didn't the hospital where I'm at now. They didn't. They just kind of sensed that that was acceptable at that time. But you know, she she did the best she could to sneak into my room. <laughs> it's fantastic. But I was able to mail her a couple of books I've written. I've written uh, about 54 books now. And I've got Crypto Van Downs by River out. That's my newest one. The last one before that was Orchid Non Redata. It's, it's a masterpiece. These, Crypto Van Downs by River is a masterpiece as well. It doesn't mention anything about Down syndrome people. But Crypto Van Down is by a River is Icelandic language mechanics. I just speak Icelandic, as you know. And it's uh, it's hilarious. It's medical humor and psychology self-help humor book worth checking out on Amazon. It was a number one for some regions for a little while. And that's one great. Of course, the oldest work I put out, the largest foundational work I put out anyway, was The Eyes of an Autistic Yogi. And, you know, the hospital didn't accept that I had written that book in Colorado where I was out at West Pines. Didn't even accept that I was an author. They even made me tear the cover of the fucking book off of my own book that I had written to just be allowed to have it in the hospital. It was so devastating. Um, They were sick out there. Sick people, some of them, and nice and doing their own job. And just their ethics were so fucked up. I just... I hated it and loved it, hated it, actually, but, you know, they just kept prescribing me weird fucking drugs and it just didn't make any sense. 
But these days, the region I live in, you know, I go to the hospital sometimes. They want me to go maybe once a year to be on a unit, and uh, it's rewarding. Last visit was really nice. It wasn't too long ago. My sodium crashed terribly in my apartment. It crashed about 120 one day. We were going to go up to Warsaw and see where my girlfriend lives. And my mom showed up and threw a fucking scene and just had the police up there. And they they threatened to handcuff me. And, like, they just, I wasn't, I didn't need to be handcuffed for any reason at all. Uh, and the police took my medicine out of my medicine cabinet. I come back home finally from the hospital and I have fewer possessions. It's like I'd been robbed uh, and things were all put away in my closet. I couldn't find anything. I just, I don't know. But my mom did the best she could to get my computer and phone to me when I was in the ER. And I was able to work from there. I'm not really an, a good ER doc. Sometimes I am. But cardiothoracic surgeon... Being that, I'm I'm not always uh, utilized in my region. I'm on call seven days a week. And I just, I work all the time. But I'm doing good. And I hope my wife's doing good. I hope Olive Garden Girl's doing good. I love her. Love love both of them. (laughs) And I love my girlfriend. So, I just, I don't know. If my girlfriend ever talks to me, like, ever... I sent her a picture of my ass the other day. I had enough. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> she's such a wonderful person. Barista and student. And she has college credits now. And like, it's been about five years this relationship. And she just doesn't want to talk to me much. She's very quiet. She's kind of autistic. And um, she's great, though. Great person. She's been nonverbal autistic before, but she's beautiful. She's a supermodel and a fantastic person. So, anyway, this is Deep Green computer I'm looking at right here. Nowadays, we have Deep Green uh, for like it's accessible in the marketplace, and yeah, we have quantum computers, whether you like it or not. Some of you, it's been a quantum revolution going. Some of you are still speculating as to whether people have quantum computers that can fit in your backpack and stuff. You don't need my computer for much, some of you, for any reason. I've definitely been robbed multiple times, and uh, some of you are going to prison for having robbed me, and it's so fucked up. You're just, you're going to be caught, some of you, and some of us have hemmed in, if you will. They're hemming us in, said Aleister Crowley one day about the Nazis, and I hate Nazis so much. I just, I hate white supremacists. I don't know what else to talk about on this podcast, but some of you white supremacists that have tried to kill me are going to prison, and you need to stop trying to hurt me. Stop trying to hurt me. (laughs) It's not a good idea. I'm not Jewish, per se, or IDF, or anything like that. I'm not... I'm not aligned with Hamas. I hate Hamas and the IDF so much. I hate Zionism. Zionism is disgusting. But it works for some regions. Some regions it doesn't work. And I understand that uh, this nice nice tail end of this podcast here is not what you want to hear. But some of you need to uh, stop this woke back, broke back uh, mentality and stop being 
so geeds we fear about things and just grow up and fucking work our asses off. Don't fuck with cardiothoracic surgeons. We're strong. My hand strength is so high. I, I'm able to take people down very easily. Stop taking me away. Wrapping up here. Spaceship podcast. Scarlett Hansen, Dr. Nathaniel Fox. And uh, with that, have a wonderful year. Let's make it a good one. Thank you.